Brittany Packett said, an ally shows up when it is convenient, an accomplice shows up when there is a risk. I am Tamara Ross, and this is Ally to Accomplice. Take a risk and join me on a learning journey where we will hear from smart and generous individuals who will help guide us to use our power and privilege to challenge the status quo and create equitably inclusive spaces for all. Once you have seen injustice, you can't unsee it. We are obliged to act. This podcast is being recorded in the Treaty 7 region, the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Stony Nakoda Nation, the Tsutina Nation, and the Métis Nation Region 3. I am grateful as a white settler with privilege that I live, work, and play here, and strive to live in right relations to all those human and non-human who call this place home. My guest today is J.S. Ryu. J.S. is the inaugural president and CEO of the National Access Arts Centre. After serving as CEO of the organization formerly known as the Indefinite Arts Centre since 2017. Under his leadership, the NAAC has grown to become Canada's largest disability arts organization, almost doubling in size and actively showcasing Canadian artists with disabilities on the global stage. In fall 2021, JS will be leading the organization into its new home with a vision to create North America's first multidisciplinary arts training and presentation venue for artists with disabilities. JS has held several senior level roles across a variety of sectors, including Director External and Community Relations at the Banff Centre for Arts and Creativity, Director Public Affairs at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, Senior Consultant with the Alberta Medical Association, and Principal Speechwriter to His Excellency Kaoru Ishikawa, Ambassador of Japan. In 2017, JS was named one of five Fellows from Canada, one in 50 globally, to participate in the Salzburg Global Seminars Forum for Young Cultural Innovators. He was named one of Calgary's Top 40 Under 40 by Avenue Magazine in 2019. JS has served on the board of numerous organizations, including Creative Calgary, the Health Coalition of Alberta, the Banff Heritage Corporation, the Korean Canadian Association of Ottawa, and the Canadian Mountain Arts Foundation. Welcome, JS. It is so lovely to speak with you today. I want to start by having you talk about the amazing artist space and programs that you are in charge of. Our organization is the National Access Arts Centre. Our former name was the Indefinite Arts Society. Being an organization that started in 1975, we're actually Canada's oldest disability arts organization. Today, we actually support a growing community of more than 350 artists living with physical and or developmental disabilities. But 80% of our artist community identifies as having a developmental disability. The remaining 20% would have a physical or acquired disability, such as uh, acquired through a stroke or a brain injury, for example. We recently rebranded last year where we joined forces with two other disability arts organizations to create this organization with a national multidisciplinary mandate. Our programs now range from the visual arts, digital media, literary arts, uh, music, dance, and theater. And so we're proud to be Canada's largest multidisciplinary disability arts organization that supports just an amazing community of extraordinarily talented artists. In your past, you've actually worked uh, a lot in support of underserved communities. And what brought you to this work? One of the most rewarding jobs that I had had was uh, working for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind and working for them and feeling that shock 
of just knowing that there's so many aspects of our communities and so many aspects of our society at large that just presents these systemic barriers for people with vision loss. And then if you take a step back, people with those disabilities at large from being able to be fully engaged and contribute their talents and their potential to our communities. I mean, it was just, it was shocking, depressing. It was just an extremely revealing moment for me to be working for an organization like that. How did you land with the CNIB in the first place? I am a very curious person by nature. And I just thought, huh, like that's, that's just interesting. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to work for a disability service organization. I wonder what that'd be like. And, and boom, you know, being pulled in, getting that opportunity, growing within that opportunity. And really we made a lot of incredible progress advocating for the needs of individuals with, with vision loss. As an advocate, what is the most challenging part of your work? And, and then what is the most exciting? I remember starting my job and walking through our studio space. And before, I mean, we were just primarily a visual arts center and walking through and you feel that creative energy from other mm. people. And I had never felt that before, but I remember walking through the door and there's this like crickety um, sliding door in our center. And I walked in and I, and I almost felt like I had to take a step back. Because for me, uh, what I saw was extraordinary art making taking place. And when you go through and you interact with our artists, they don't, for the most part, there are a few that, that you know, get, will get up and start hugging you, but for the most part, yeah. <laughs> they keep their head down because they're so focused yeah. on what they're creating. And they know that their studio time is precious. And so our artists know, like, this is my time to create. Don't bother me. Right? And so mm. to see that was extraordinary. The challenge... I think is that despite that extraordinary passion and dedication and that out of this world creativity, 90% of the people that we talk to don't treat us seriously. I don't know why people don't uh, come out and just, and just acknowledge that as a society, we just don't care. <laughs> we don't care about people with disabilities, right? We don't think about them. We go, oh, well, there's a ramp. That's nice. You know, go up that ramp. Mm -hmm. um, but when we actually think about people with Down syndrome, people on the autism spectrum, people, you name it. And especially when we think about people with developmental disabilities, when is the last time that anybody walking by my street has actually been thinking about you know, the, the, the potential that they have or the, the, the discrimination that they face, the barriers that they face, they just don't care. So when, when I walk people through and try to, you know, translate my excitement onto them going, isn't this great? And the look I get back from them is going, well, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, they have to be politically correct and they have to say, yes, JS, this is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And then I never hear from them again. I've developed a really thick skin through my time with this organization. I never mm. thought that I, I would, but that's okay. Like I'm going to find those two to three individuals that I know will feel that same feeling that I felt when I yeah. first walked through those doors. The most exciting, when you do find those partners, I, I remember having conversations with people through Canada Council or Canadian Heritage and people who have never thought about what it is that we do with much time or, or seriousness before, but giving me that opportunity to tell them that story and then converting them as supporters and allies. Mm -hmm. That is perhaps the most exciting thing for me to see. One of the things that we're incredibly proud of is that our organization, far beyond any other organization that I know of on this entire side of the planet, has been extraordinarily successful in promoting our artists' works and actually sending our artists overseas. 
We're actually an incredible partner with global affairs. I remember having this conversation with the director of uh, cultural uh, diplomacy. I remember sitting with him and uh, the moment that his eyes widened and said, I have never heard of your organization before, but I think there has to be something that we can be doing to be able to promote your artists, use their creativity for hmm. Canada's cultural diplomacy efforts. Since 2018, our artists or their works have been through Hong Kong, Seoul, Guadalajara, Dubai, New York. We're heading off to Japan later this year. And when you do find those people, they're not just allies. They're going to be active allies. They're going to go, okay, let's do this. And to see that happen and then to see how that's changing our artists' own attitudes about mm. their position as artists, their increased confidence that they're actually being compensated at industry standard rates, you know, exhibition fees, international exhibition fees, royalties. Since 2019, more than $150,000 worth of commission checks have been issued to our community. And to know that if more people were to become allies, even more extraordinary things could happen, that keeps me going. When you talk about being taken seriously, do you find that that also applies to the art world? Is there a tension there between your artists being looked at as artists? It's actually the, the biggest source of my frustration, which is very unfortunate, but that's why we exist. If we had an arts world that actually incorporated and celebrated and integrated people with, with neurodiverse backgrounds and people with physical disabilities, developmental disabilities, you know, they actually took a serious stand and it actually doesn't take that much additional effort. That's the thing. But if every arts organization did their part at every stage of our ecosystem, from the creation bit, from the education and training bit, from the you know exhibition presentation bit, all of those elements did their part in supporting artists with disabilities, then we wouldn't need to exist. Ultimately, you know, the goal is to not exist. I'm hoping that it is our organization and other allies and partners that can spark the conversation in order for the arts world to actually treat us seriously. Because the, your facility and your programming is so critical for so many artists, how have they fared during COVID if they don't have access to the studio? When we had to close in March of 2020, there was one fundamental challenge that we presented to our team. That was, we cannot stop because we know we are so integral to the lives of our community, vital to their health, vital to their mental health, vital to their well-being. So noting that, it took us 10 business days from the point of shutting down to rolling out eight new programs immediately. What I'm so proud of is that our program team led by the venerable Carly Mortimer, I'll make a shout out to her. We took it very seriously and said, okay, we can do Zoom. Let's just do Zoom. But, but we know that that's not going to be enough. Not everybody has regular access to technology or high bandwidth internet. We knew that from the get-go. So if we knew that 60% of our artists could regularly interact with us through Zoom, we're still leaving 40% behind. So what do we do for artists who can't communicate verbally or on the screen? We're writing letters on a weekly basis. We're totally just go back to the basics, writing letters for those who are verbal but can't still access Zoom, phone calls to our artists every single week. It's actually facilitating process. What are you working on? Here's some advice. And, and when we're writing letters, that's how we're writing letters back and forth. What are you working on? Send us your work. Let me give you some advice, sending it back. Can you just talk to me briefly about being involved in creating a new space, purpose built for artists with differing abilities and finding the right 
design and construction partners for the project? It's hard because no other disability arts organization on this side of, of the planet has ever been involved in a process of creating a space. Even the most well-known disability arts organizations in the States that I've had the real pleasure of being able to visit over the past number of years, they all operate out of old bunker spaces or old garage warehouse spaces. And they, they've just been forced into spaces that they could either afford or that have just been handed to them in some arrangement or another. The fact that we've been given a 10,000 square foot space, it's not enough space for us. But the fact that the city of Calgary is continuing that relationship with our organization where we are paying the city to lease the land and the building for $10 a year, we're very fortunate that we have that kind of a partnership with the city that is unlike any other that I've seen in North America. But it's hard because now the $2.5 million that the city has provided in addition to that nominal lease arrangement will allow us to basically gut that entire building and then start from scratch. But that starting from scratch process is going to be the, the interesting challenge. We have some exciting partners that are part of this project, one of them being Dialogue. Dialogue actually has been doing that research with us. It's not just about designing space, it's about researching, understanding our artists, but also looking at other venues across the states and doing assessments of other venues around the world and going, how do we make this happen? It's about creating universal space, universal access, and it's about desegregating spaces. If people know the Calgary Public Library, one of the greatest architectural features of that building is its giant staircase. But that's segregating access and segregating design because not everybody can fully enjoy or appreciate what that staircase means. And so to be able to break that down and apply those new principles around this particular facility to be more focused on the elements of our programming is going to be an extraordinarily exciting process. Why do you feel that arts is uniquely poised to show us injustice and move the viewer to address it. We host exhibitions and events throughout the city, around the world. We were the first Canadian arts organization, not disability arts organization, the first Canadian arts organization to be installed at the Dubai International Airport. Our artists' works were exposed to more than 6.8 million viewers yeah, over, wow. throughout the course uh, of June of 2019. That one piece of art, wherever it's hanging, it's sparking a conversation either internally or externally about injustice and about the lack of equity. Hopefully for that one individual or the 6.8 million people that went through Dubai, they're going, I have never thought about people with developmental disabilities as being artists, that they could be artists, that they have a creative voice, that they have a creative mind, that they have a yearning to showcase and share their thoughts and their perspectives. That is the first step towards addressing injustice. We're giving them an opportunity to reflect and giving them an opportunity to say to themselves, huh, like the next time I see somebody with a disability, I'm going to think back to that show, to that exhibition, to that moment when I met an artist and realized that they are just so proud to be creating something that adds to our country's, our community's cultural fabric. What do you think makes a good ally? I think an ally needs to really feel and understand what it is that we're going through. An ally is more than just the person who wants to just check that box. That person that wants to be politically correct, see themselves shaking hands with somebody in a wheelchair. It's somebody who takes the time to understand and listen and care and cry and feel, who just wants to just viscerally feel everything that our community feels. 
because they do feel we're, we're recently we're exploring the cabaret initiative where we're encouraging our artists to explore elements around sexuality. I mean, when's the last time we ever talked about disabled individuals having sex? You're becoming an ally when you understand all of the facets, all of the elements of what makes a person a person, a, a human being a human being, a person with rights. We're supporting artists who happen to have disabilities. We're going to support their creative process, understanding that they have disabilities. And, and so that's how we're allies. Everybody else can have different ways of being allies, but it all starts with, with that element of care and empathy. What is one of the most exciting projects you're working on? One of the big projects that we're going to be rolling out this year, uh, and hopefully will be expedited soon with mass vaccinations and us being able to return to our space, uh, is the launch of a project that we call Art Journey. It's a project that has been funded very generously by the Canada Council for the Arts Digital Strategy Fund. And it's going to be a tool that we're going to incorporate into our programming where it's an accessible platform for our artists to be able to share their journey, their artistic practice, their choreographed dance pieces, their new music compositions, using their own unfiltered, genuine first-person voice. One of the biggest things that I constantly get bothered by from our organization's perspective is that we market things on our artist's behalf. We always speak about our artists in the third person. So I'm really proud of the fact that we then said, okay, well, obviously, what is available to us right now is not working. So why don't we create something that's gonna work for our community with physical disabilities or developmental disabilities for them to be able to use their mobile device, for them to come into the studio and use one of our 20 iPads and document their practice and allow them to share why they're approaching their work the way that they're approaching it. It doesn't even have to be verbal. They could be signing something. They could be using emojis to describe something. We're making it completely accessible. That's not only going to be a platform for our community of artists, but this is going to be a, a, a platform that's going to be connecting other organizations across Canada and the oh, United cool. States. Those community of artists can interact amongst themselves and network and find collaborative opportunities. Is there an artist, writer, or advocate that we may not be aware of and should be? One particular artist that I'm going to make a special shout out and we've had the great pleasure of hosting him from Korea is an artist named Pixel Kim. And I'd encourage all your listeners to just give him a look. I think he's on Instagram, just search Pixel Kim. He's an artist with Down syndrome and his works will absolutely just, just floor you. It's just been inspiring to see. But the added piece to that is that behind Pixel is not an organization that advocates for him. It's not a government body or it's not tons of money that allows him to grow and succeed, but it's his mother. She's the one opening those doors and finding success for her son. And in that advocacy, her son's creativity is now taking shape and taking form for him to be a very successful independent artist. I wouldn't be surprised if if in five years time, he would be one of the most successful commercial artists. What is an action that those of us that might be allies already can take to move to being accomplices? For partners and individuals who work in the arts sector, I think being an accomplice is about eradicating every preconceived notion about what the arts is and what success in the arts means. When our accomplices do that, it opens up opportunities for partnerships and support that will actually matter to our community. Mm -hmm. As an example, when we're talking about the, the success of a visual art process is not the number of people that come to your opening or should not be, or the commercial value that is suddenly placed on that piece. If if they are able to 
eradicate those sort of very traditional notions about what success means in the visual arts realm, then they can think about, no, is it about sparking those conversations and being an active accomplice in hosting, convening, facilitating those conversations and finding success that way, not to hundreds of people, but to 10 people. In order to be an ally, you can give us money, but in order to be an accomplice, I think you need to be actively eradicating, removing, just like clawing through all of those preconceived things that we've developed when the people in the white wigs in Europe said, this is how the arts are Mm -hmm. supposed to be. And the same thing goes for the performing arts as well. The the killer for me is the number of performing arts organizations that are, are obsessed with bums and seats, obsessed with subscriptions and obsessed with finding that next sponsor in order to be an accomplice. It's not about bums and seats. I think that we're creating future generations of audiences that probably will care less. I know you and I both have had conversations around how people are accessing the arts and what's drawing people to the arts. And it's Mm -hmm. not the the subscription and the opera glasses to go see something at Jackson Air Hall. It's not going to be that. And the quicker that arts partners understand that and realize that and uh, redefine what success metrics are, the quicker the arts sector will be able to regain its bearings and thrive. You have to change those other elements of that in order to make it successful in genuine, authentic ways. I do believe that a government should break down the incredible inequity that exists in our arts sector. Movements start with conversations like ours, even in our exhibitions or our shows. It's those conversations that matter far more than we realize. We need to understand that allies and accomplices outside that community need to exist. But sometimes there is that visceral response. You're not one of us, so you can't speak on behalf of us. I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody. I am being an accomplice because I believe that I need to roll up my sleeves and do my part. But with that sort of audacious vision that hopefully I don't need to do that in 50 years or 20 years. Thank you so much, GS, for this wonderful conversation we had today. Allyship and Accomplice, The What, Why, and How is an article by Michelle Kim, which echoes what JS spoke of today in regards to being a good ally. Do continue to learn about different communities' issues and struggles. Do ask what support looks like for people you seek to be in solidarity with. And in 2014, Indigenous Action Media published Accomplices Not Allies, Abolishing the Ally Industrial Complex, an Indigenous Perspective, where they said, Accomplices are realized through mutual consent and build trust. They don't just have our backs, they are at our side. As an accomplice, we are compelled to become accountable and responsible to each other. That is the nature of trust. I will put links to the artist and their work JS mentioned here today and to the National Access Arts Centre in the podcast details for this episode. Thank you for joining me today. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge as a white settler with privilege that I live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Suksika, Kainai, and Pekani, the Tsutina, the Stony Nakoda, Bears Paw, Chiniki, Wesley Nations, the Métis Nation, Region 3, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Merci, Marc Maziad, pour la musique, and Don Saunders-Dahl for the podcast artwork. Continue this important learning journey with me in future Ally to Accomplice podcasts.